everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. As more and more brands are coming onto e-commerce, how do you establish the trust as a brand? And I think that aspect of mindfulness and not pushing people to buy. And if there's a business case that we actually can show, this is not only good for the consumer, but it's also good for the brand to actually have more mindful purchases instead of driving people aggressively down the funnel. We will pilot and test more and work with our community to see how we can actually bring mindfulness into the e-commerce purchasing experience. Imagine this, it's Black Friday, the biggest shopping day of the year, and you're a brand with customers on your website pushing the buy button. But instead of moving them down the funnel, you stop them and interrupt the buying process to ask them, how are you feeling right now? Do you wanna read a poem? Seems like a crazy thing to do, right? Especially in a world that is dominated by closing sales and doing everything possible to get a customer to hit buy. Doing this is literally pausing a conversion and making a customer examine his or her activity and second guess making a purchase. Nevertheless, this was the strategy that Barabee put into practice this past holiday season, and the results might just surprise you. They surprised me. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Catherine Hamm, the founder and CEO of Barabee, tells us that the mindfulness experiment, while risky and not advised by her industry peers, paid off in big ways. Barabee was able to gain insights into consumer behavior and gather data that helped predict whether or not a customer was likely to return the product or not, which is very crucial for a weighted blanket company. And most importantly, Barabee was able to build more trust with customers and foster a very authentic relationship centered around mental health and the customer's well-being, which in today's world goes a long way towards creating that loyal consumer base. Catherine also explains why adding more mindfulness and behavioral cues into the customer journey could have a positive impact on return rates, overall customer satisfaction, and your NPS score. So cozy up and enjoy this episode with Catherine Ham. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Before we dive into the episode, I want to let you in on a little secret. Did you know that Mission has the number one e-commerce newsletter? It's amazing. It has really good news and insights and case studies that you will not find anywhere else. So go subscribe, mission.org slash up next in commerce. All right, onto the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder and CEO at Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Catherine Hamm, the CEO and founder at Barabee. Catherine, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. So tell me a bit about Barabee. I was looking at your website. I saw how amazing your weighted blankets look. I mean, they're knitted. They're awesome. I have a couple other weighted blankets, but they are nowhere near that. So tell me a little bit about the company and how you thought about creating it. 
So the idea of, of, of creating Barabi was really um, when I had sleep problems um, myself. Uh, I used to uh, work for the World Bank as an economist and I was just traveling a lot. I uh, just had moved from Washington to the Middle East and then from the Middle East to um, India and just all within like two years traveling a lot and I was never a good sleeper. And but kind of this constant travel and jet lag really put me over the top. So I was just looking for a natural sleep solution. Um, and I tried many different things. And at some point, I came across this really simple concept of a heavy blanket that's supposed to be 10% of your body weight that you put on top of you in an equal way. And then it's supposed to help you calm, relax, and sleep better. And the concept itself is not new. Uh, weighted blankets have been around for more than 60 years, especially for children that have um, sensory um, disorders. And I ordered one of these blankets into India um, and I tried it on a Saturday afternoon and I napped for four hours, which never happened to me before. And I was just sold on the idea. I'm like, okay, that's it. I can move on with my life. I just get this blanket and things will be good. Just the next night, I just woke up again under the weighted blanket, but I was sweating and it just was really hot. And I think that's when I realized that all these weighted blankets are made with these artificial filling materials. So usually you find like 20 pounds of plastic beads in it. And obviously it makes you hot like an oven, but it's also really not good for the environment. And at that point, I was really just searching for a product myself. And I realized there's nothing out there, even though the product has been around for such a long time, somehow no one had really innovated on the concept. And that's kind of where the idea started to make something different and use innovation and design. And at the same time, um, trying to come up with a product that addressing these needs while being sustainable at the same time. That's awesome. And so this was... Um... Back in 2018, when you launched your company and you still had your day job and you launched it on Kickstarter, right? Yes. Tell me a little bit about that thought process. Like what was in your head when you're like, okay, I have a full-time job. I'm in India and I'm going to go on Kickstarter. So I think I'm naturally a risk averse person. Uh, I know like Same. other entrepreneurs are like, I had my idea and I knew I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I just kind of went for it. I kind of went the other way. I'm like, let's try, you know, this as a little side hustle and kind of see it more of a project at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So I really kind of mapped out like in a business plan. So what do I need to have first? So how do I think about the product? How do I think about the IP? And at some point you come to the funding and when you do uh, the numbers, you realize it actually takes a lot of money to launch a product or a brand. And you don't know in the early stages if, you know, people even will like will like it. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized that I think crowdsourcing is, is a good way to fail really fast or get feedback really fast. So we put together a short video with like just the initial idea. And within a month, uh, we had more than quarter million dollars already on the Kickstarter campaign. And the feedback I got from people is that this is just a product that more people are looking for. And I think that gave me then the next confidence boost to say, well, it might be not only a project, but this might be a real business idea that I can start exploring. Hmm. That's very cool. So what did it look like after you had that money in your Kickstarter account? And you're like, okay, this is real. Like, what did it look like after that? 
Well, the money didn't last really long, yeah. if you realize. So I actually emptied out my whole um, save, um, retirement funds wow. uh, after I had had left my job. Mm-hmm. I think at that time I really believed in the product, and I knew I was onto something that I that I wanted to bring to the market. So the next step was the manufacturing, and. At that point, I had like a, a, a prototype that I actually had developed together with my mom, who's a really like avid knitter. Nice. We, we came up with the idea that instead of using any plastic or glass beads to make a heavy, to make the product heavy, it's like a, a, a knitted rug. And if you use kind of layers upon layers of fabric, you actually also get to a heavy blanket that comes up to 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. There was with like a small piece of, of a blanket and then I went around and I kind of just had a list of different manufacturers. I think I had a list of around 40 and I just kind of picked up the phone and, and were talking to people, you know, this is my idea. Is that something that you could help me uh, produce? Could you help me make this? And I think one of the issues was that most people like didn't know, you know, why, why do you even want to make a heavy blanket? We've mm-hmm. been working in the industry since 30 years to make a light product, a light blanket. Um, so I think that was an issue. And then I also obviously didn't have any credibility. I mean, in the space where they're like, okay, even if we're trying to make this, how many units would you take? And I'm like, maybe hundred. And then I think they already hang up the, the yeah. phone. Like so I got <laughs> So I got a, a lot of no's at the at the beginning. And um, yeah, I just realized that nobody had done this before. Even with apparel, they said, we have similar, we don't have these machines bedding. We don't have these machines. So I actually went back to the drawing board and without kind of, before I actually launched the, 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 the Napa, our, our product, I first had to come up with a machine to make the weighted yarn that we're using. Wow. So I was working with a, a manufacturer in, in Germany, a machine maker that first was um, creating the yarn to then go into the final production. So that took me quite some time to really figure out that supply chain piece. And uh, yeah. I think most people would have given up when they found out they had to make their own machine. That's wild. What was your mom saying during that whole process? I, I mean, they thought I'm crazy because... I left a, you know, a pretty solid job that I studied for a very long time for. I have a PhD in economics. And then suddenly in my mid thirties, I'm telling my parents I'm leaving my job because I want to sell these heavy blankets that nobody had heard of in the, on the internet. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even my friends thought this is just kind of a phase or maybe like a midlife crisis. (laughs) And when you, you know, you have like these uh, dinners with friends where everyone is sharing like, oh, I got a promotion or, you know, I'm on to the next step. And I had for a very long time, I had nothing to share where yeah. I'm like, I'm about to build a website. It's not there yet. Give me a couple of more months. And everyone was like, oh yeah, that's very cute. Good luck with that, Catherine. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it was, it was sometimes not an easy, easy time. Uh, the first, especially like the first year. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine. That's such such a fun story. So now, I mean, you're partnering with big brands like West Elm. You've got celebrities who love your product. I saw like Rachel Zoe and others love it. So how many blankets are you selling today? And yeah, I want to get into the partnership piece after that. But yeah, what does the world look like today? I mean, when we launched in December 2018, 
we kind of just had our website mm -hmm. and um, we, we got an article on Fast Company, um, I think just five months later, where they were describing that this is the most sustainable weighted blanket in the market. And it was just a category that kind of people got notice of. And I mean, that was the time where it's like, this is a sleep solution and there are these things, this, these weighted blankets. And then we kind of came already in a market where it was a product that was different. It was somehow, you know, something you want to keep on the couch, something design worthy and not kind of something that you might want to hide in your bedroom. Yeah. And um, then we got a call from Western, just like literally like the week later it was actually the first, it was an email. And uh, at that point I thought, yeah, probably it's not real. Mm -hmm. Maybe someone is, is scamming us, but I thought, well, like, it doesn't hurt to just jump on the call and have a conversation. And yeah, I ended up uh, speaking with the buyers and uh, they were excited about uh, the, the product. They were excited about the category and were looking into it also for some time. And they liked the idea of having a sustainable option that also fits with their interior design. Mm -hmm. And well, they asked me, where's your showroom? And at that point, we're like, it's actually my living room. So we don't have a showroom yet, but they still took a chance. Um, and we were a very small company at, at that point. And they helped us work, you know, through the process of getting onboarded with like such a big partner very early on and, you know, working on the color collections. And uh, I think we learned a lot from a design perspective. And that now we've expanded the partnership. We are now also in Pottery Barn and uh, Pottery Barn Kids with our kids collection. And it's turned out in a really beautiful partnership, which I didn't never had expected or hoped for that early in, in, the, in the stage of the company. That's amazing. And had you already sold some blankets? Like were you doing D2C before West Elm approached you? Yeah, so we started um, D2C um, as, a, as a primary channel. And I mean, that's, just for the reason that I wanted to educate people around the product because I felt a lot of people still didn't fully understand, um, you know, what are the medical benefits uh, of the product? How do I choose a product? And I also wanted to create something that's different from other weighted blankets where it's really, we're leaning in into something, it's healthy to talk and there is actually joy in napping. So this branded experience um, I knew I could only establish on our own website. Mm -hmm. So we didn't think about any other channels at that stage. And really we're focusing on how do we communicate that, that we're different and how do you communicate the heaviness of the product without people being able to touch it? Yeah, that, that's tough. So how did, you, how did you show that value on the website? I think that's still like one of the most asked questions that we're getting while people are uh, figuring out what's the best choice for them. Uh, we came up actually with a customized quiz uh, where we worked with a sleep scientist um, where people just, we didn't keep it too long, but just a couple of questions that give people a guidance where this is the right product. Um, there's a recommendation that comes out at the end of it. And then we also have a detailed section that goes into the fabrics, the different options that we have and how it makes you feel. But I would say it's definitely an advantage for us to have Western as a partner, because if people are still unsure on, you know, we don't know what a weighted blanket feels like, I can tell them, why don't you hop, 
hop on a bus and, and uh, go into the next uh, Western store and just mm-hmm. see it, test it out there on the couch there when you come and uh, you can try it out. And most of the people actually really um, go right away and, and enjoy trying it out. That, that's really cool. So how did you go from, you know, being D2C to then all of a sudden you're going to be, you know, you have to expand your stock. You have to start um, selling nationally. Like how did you, what'd you have to do behind the scenes to make it work with West Elm? So it's really a process that um, we needed to prepare for from an operational standpoint, because when you are a smaller brand and let's say you, you, you have like shorter planning cycles. So we, you know, when we have an idea, we're saying, oh, we would like to, you know, come up with this color. We want to try this. It usually takes us like more or less like two months to bring that style on our website because we're very agile as we are producing in-house. But now with like a retailer, we had to see, I mean, when we talked January, we're like, okay, let's talk uh, March, guys. And they're like, uh, we're already in March 2021. Oh, yeah. Sorry, 2022, like a year later. We're like, oh, okay. So just the planning cycle and then adjusting the volume for it means that we need to have the analytics in place, the inventory planning. So I think we ha- it forced us to some extent to really look f- for the numbers and have our kind of inventory planned out and the analytics on what are we selling and how are we converting on the website and then how do we allocate the the volume to West Elm. So that was one piece. Mm -hmm. The other piece is obviously supply chain that became in the beginning just much more um, difficult. So we had to onboard uh, an additional warehouse to just fulfill the requirements coming from the labeling and the other requirements that we had to do. So it was a really, I would say, stressful time for the team. And But I think having a partner who kind of guides you through it was helpful too. And I think now we've done it and we really learned a ton. And these, these couple of months, it also helped us, I think, retrospectively just be better as from operational uh, standpoint. Yep. So what happened this past year when it came to, you know, COVID and holidays and Black Friday, was there anything interesting there that you had to either plan for or that you found out after the fact? I mean, generally, we saw an increase in demand, um, especially with people being um, at home. People had struggled with sleep and anxiety levels went up. So we've seen really a spike in demand, uh, which we try to fulfill from our end from a supply chain perspective. Like Friday, we actually decided to to go on a different route. Usually it's, uh, as you know, Black Friday is like the biggest sales uh, day of the year and every brand is getting ready. And what we actually did is like we literally slept through Black Friday. We came out with a black blanket, a black napper for Black Friday. And we wanted to introduce the concept of mindfulness uh, around it because our hypothesis was that Mostly we're buying a lot of stuff um, at a discount that we don't really need. Mm -hmm. It ends up in landfills and it doesn't make us happy. So we wanted to see, first of all, like how would it be um, if basically our website is shut down and people are sleeping through Black Friday. And then if you still want to come back the next day, um, we're still making it difficult for you to get a product. So we had designed uh, a website experience. Um, where you only uh, were able to access the product when you actually slept on it. And uh, in addition, what we wanted to see, and we work with um, behavioral scientists on um, a component of 
feelings like so you're evaluating your feelings and how you are mindful when you purchase so we work with the um with duke university and the advanced center of hindsight and basically how it worked was you come to the website and before you click to purchase another question box pops up that literally makes you pause and asks you how are you feeling right now and not like the normal like how are you and then you kind of move on but it really um, we wanted to have people reflect on it and ask people, do you really need this product right now? And uh, if yes, how are you feeling? Are you anxious? Are you calm? Do you feel lonely, sad, happy? What we found is that, first of all, like people were really excited about, uh, about this campaign, that it made them feel like maybe I don't need a second blanket. And mm-hmm. what's most surprising for us was that people who were anxious uh, were five times more likely to return the product afterwards. But people who were calm or people who felt grateful while buying the product, uh, we had uh, close to zero returns on that. So this is something which I was really fascinated because I think for us as, as brands, as, as we move through the learnings that we had in the last years, I think people are more conscious about what we're buying. But I think for brands, we also think this is now expected and what can we do actually to take the customer experience to the next level. And as more and more brands are coming onto um, e-commerce is how do you establish the trust actually as a brand? And I think that aspect of mindfulness and not pushing people to buy. And if there's a business case that we actually can show, this is not only good for the consumer, but it's also good for the brand to actually have more mindful purchases instead of driving people aggressively down the funnel. Um, This is something like I was very excited about the results and we will pilot and test more and work with our community to see how we can actually bring mindfulness into the e-commerce purchasing experience. Wow, that's such an interesting test and so just different than I guess a lot of brands right now who are, you know, so quick to just try and optimize for that sale, quick conversions. And sometimes, especially the earlier ones, not even thinking about, you know, the returns later on that are very expensive. How are you taking those learnings and applying that into your business going forward? Like what new tests are you doing? How are you thinking about things differently now? So, I mean, one thing is definitely like the the returns for a product that on average is like 20 to 25 pounds. Our shipping costs are quite high. Um, so how can we actually optimize that um, we really have an experience for customers that it's a purchase uh, decision that is well thought out through and that we're actually helping people to guide, guide them through the decision. And I mean, one is the, the science, the sleep science quiz that we have on the website where we really educate people along the way to make the right decision on what product they should buy. Um, But we will systematically also test in the next couple of months on what are different interventions that you can take before you click on a buy button that has a calming effect on people. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, one thing is obviously returns, but then um, would that also help people to feel more satisfied overall? Is the, the net promoter score going up of people who basically were in a mindful state while buying and kind of testing uh, different interventions. And we work obviously closely with the, uh, the behavioral science lab on that to, to find these different ways on, on, on kind of inventing on the brand 
and inventing on the consumer experience and not only having a mindful product that should you know, bring a relaxing effect, but also how can this be a holistic experience for the brand? Because if I'm sending you three you know, abandoned card emails, if it's, you have to buy it now or it's gone, uh, it's just also contradicting for the, what we stand for as a brand. So I think that's really something where I want to look into how we can expand that experiment uh, and, and, and bring it across every touch point in the brand cycle. Yeah. What are some example tests that you're doing that you're like, I'm not sure if this is going to work, but we're trying out this to see if we can, you know, convince the consumer to get into a more mindful state and then come back when they are like, how, what kind of things are you testing out or are the behavioral scientists testing out right now? One thing is obviously um, connection with people. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing is you being aware about what you're feeling right now. But then the latest is that there is a, a, a digital map where you actually can see it opens up and then you can see like close in your area, there are 10 other people at the moment that feel similar to you. Mm-hmm. So elements of community and connection. And if it's just, um, you know, on a website seeing and, and that makes you actually realize kind of it helps you realize your own feelings. Uh, to a larger extent that you're not alone in front of this website and trying to buy something, but it puts things into context. The other things um, is gratefulness. So one of the things we found is that if you have, if you're feeling grateful, it increases your happiness and your satisfaction with the purchase. So how can we increase that through, for example, like giving back and giving consumers the option of choosing a giving back component while while, um, purchasing, while checking out? That's the second thing. And another um, interesting approach that we already tried for Black Friday was the, a poem. We, we worked together with a poet who created a really beautiful um, poem that just came up before clicking to purchase. And it was about, I mean, the topic was not generally about mindfulness, but really like reflecting on kind of who you are as a person. Um, why are you buying this right now? And kind of, yeah a very beautiful, like uh, stunning piece that, that Aja had developed for us. And I think that emotional reaction of people really is something that was stunning from a, from a results perspective. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I mean, and that's, like I said, just such a different mindset than, you know, what's happening right now with a lot of companies and not only is it good for consumers, but it's good for business. So how much did you see returns decrease compared to before when you weren't doing that? Like what kind of savings was your company experiencing from now doing this and trying this out? So, I mean, my initial hypothesis was that conversion rate would go down because Mm -hmm. if you're making it that difficult for people to get a product, so you're asking them to wait, sleep on it, then you're asking them, you know, listen to a poem, take a breathing exercise, tell me how you're feeling, Mm -hmm. and then uh, click into a consent form before you then finally can buy the product. So I was actually expecting that we don't sell any of these blankets. Uh I was telling uh, the team that was working on it. I'm like, I think uh, if we're selling like two blankets, we've we've kind of, that would be already a good result. (laughs) And we were quite surprised that our conversion rate is double, uh, was double than to our regular conversion rate. And now our um, return rates, again, half, like, less than half the return rates than our usual uh, process. And, and we had the project run for three months to really mm-hmm. collect a robust set of data. And I think we're really onto something with this whole concept of calm buying. 
that goes a bit in the opposite direction of, you know, optimizing and um, driving people down the funnel of thinking if there are actually other ways, more authentic and honest ways as a brand to communicate. And, and I think so far as what we see, actually the numbers really speak for themselves. That's yeah, that's really fun. Such a different conversation than I've had so far on the show, which is yeah, just really exciting. So what did your partners think about this test? Like what did were you working with West Elm at the time? And if so, what did they what they say when you're like conversions could go down to zero, but there's something better coming? <laughs> <laughs> so this was actually something we only tested on our website because okay. it's quite uh complex. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't uh roll it out. And I actually just got these results in last week. Got it. Um, so everyone was like, you guys go first, you know, if we, we monitor and, you know, it's, it's a nice idea, but let's see how that turns out for you guys. Um, I mean, we were all nervous, obviously. I mean, Black Friday is a big sales day mm-hmm. and um, kind of like having the, the, the potential that you are losing out on that day definitely was like putting us, making us uneasy. So I think that's why it's even more exciting now that we say, hey, we're actually onto something that we probably could build up on and maybe even kind of share with like the broader community of D2C brands. I know it's like a lot going on and there are a lot of shifts um, in, you know, what's happening. And there's maybe an approach that, um, yeah, we're happy to share and the lessons learned that we have and and maybe more people are coming on board and and see if it works for them as well. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of reinventing the, D2C playbook and thinking about it in a whole different way. Have you had other brands who are interested in trying this out or that you've talked to where you see an interest in the industry? I think the early conversations that we had, especially like brands that are focused on sustainability, there is, we had initial discussions where people are surprised that it really matters or it directly impacts conversion and it impacts our return rates. So I think there is there is an opportunity to build that with a smaller group of brand friends mm-hmm. and, and innovate on it. But yeah, it's early days. So I think we, we will work a bit more on kind of getting some more findings and testing a bit more what works the best and then obviously sharing it with everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So where are you headed? Like, what are you hoping to do with Bearby over the next one to three years? What are you guys innovating on or looking into or trying out? outside of the already cool work in behavior science that you're testing? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's, I think, um, looking into like what what consumers are expecting from us is, is definitely, I think a lot of the things that happened during COVID will stay. Um, people are expecting fast deliveries from us, um, almost like same day uh, deliveries. So we were piloting um, on same day, two hour window delivery um, options. And I think that's something where uh, how can we make it easy and comfortable for people to, you know, not leave their house yet, but still get their product in a timely basis. Uh, How do we set up as from an infrastructure perspective that we're able to, you know, hold that pace. I think that's something that we're looking into. And then just generally, like we're always interested in looking into new products and new product innovation in the wellness space. Obviously, we have we launched last year the, the children's edition that we really also launched from a direct demand during COVID, what we heard from parents that were homeschooling children. Um, and I think like just listening to our customers is, is one of the things that we also, I think, 
probably started in crowdfunding, you always stick to the principle. Whenever we have a new collection coming up or like an early product idea, we have a small group of people uh, from our loyal customers. We call them like the Napa Hood Club mm-hmm. that can try out products and where we get feedback and listen to it. And on Instagram, for example, I mean, when it comes to colors, color uh, selection, I mean, we just discussed our fall colors that are coming out. And um, yeah, I mean, at the end, we took two colors out that people on Instagram were not excited about and literally gave the whole vote to the community of the colors that they want to see. And I think that's another like kind of interesting thing where obviously we always took feedback from people, but in a less systematic way. And now we're really like putting kind of the consumer first and the decisions that people are telling us and the colors we will put on the market even despite maybe some other designers that would go for other colors. And yeah, let's see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And how did you build up an audience on Instagram? Cause I was reading that quite a bit of it was organic and, you know, you were more interested in working on the supply chain stuff and sending out samples or get on people's radar. So how did you build up your Instagram now where people are actually commenting and giving you feedback? I think like on the early days, um, I didn't have much experience on, on Instagram. So I really had to kind of test and figure out what, what works. One of the things is that um, we're trying to be helpful for the community. So instead of kind of just us as a brand talking and kind of sharing what we have new, um, especially during the last year, um, we realized a lot of the community is actually struggling with like mental health, anxiety. So what we did, for example, is that uh, we used um, Instagram as a, a connected to a SMS platform. Mm-hmm. Where usually you send SMS to kind of inform people about the sales, but then we used it in a reverse way where we had actually an expert sitting on the other end of the line, um, psychologist or just general mental health counselor, where people could send in their questions that we got from Instagram, but that also we got through SMS. So we connected both platforms. And I think what the beauty of that was is that mental health often is a very personal issue. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you want to have on Instagram live if you have a question. So that's why people could actually send the SMS question in privacy and there's an expert answering it, expert from NAMI. And I think like that helpfulness and where people say, well, this is actually relevant content and we're asking them, so which expert do you want to speak to? And um, ranging from people who have a long time experience on how to homeschool children, um, now teaching people who are just de- have to deal and have to get to learn how to um, get into that new mode. Mm-hmm. We brought all these experts and we had like that um, message, this community of like helpfulness and, and chat. And I think that just kind of sparked a natural conversation. And I think then people stick on and want to want to see what else the brand is doing. And I think if we listen. Uh, to that and we are kind of reciprocating and not shouting out but more listening Um, it's just uh, organically uh, like the community grows and is also excited about the brand yeah that's awesome you're once again doing something in a reverse way I love it it's so contrarian but also yeah amazing to hear how it's impacting the community would you take their questions or would the experts take them and answer them on Instagram story or something so others could benefit from the questions coming in or were you making it more one-to-one where, you know, they were actually responding in a text to that person. 
So what we did at the beginning is like you're sending in a question and it's really a one-to-one answer. Mm -hmm. So, and then what we did for the community later is that we anonymized uh, the questions and then have them on Instagram stories for people to to learn basically what the most common answers were. So you still have that one-on-one feeling for, especially for things that are personal, Mm -hmm. but then we still kind of making it available and just kind of routinely having these cycles where it's like, these are fixed dates where we announce this is the expert that we're having on the line. So people can share questions in advance. The expert can prepare for it because they have to take on the back end a lot of questions because it's really like this one-on-one conversations, but then making sure that we can scale it to a bigger community later. So it's really helpful. And it also stays there as a reference and as a helpful resource in the future. Awesome. I love that. All right. Well, let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by our friends at Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to send a question your way and you have a minute or less to answer. All right. First, what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? I think the centralization of data where we have more um, different inputs from like supply chain, from customization and uh, customer journey, and how do we actually get that centralized in one in one uh, place and and create an experience for the, the consumer that's helpful um, and adapts to their needs. I love that. Have you seen anyone who is doing a good job in that space so far that you're watching? Um, I mean, generally, like I'm always looking. I'm, uh, what Tesla has been doing. I mm-hmm. think if you if you look at kind of the example on how they really reinvented like a space that no one thought it's doable, that you have no car dealers and that you actually have software on the car. And I think just thinking about like uh, ideas that are a bit broader. So obviously like we're watching like what the latest trends are on B2C, but I think it's also really helpful to see in other industries and like that have been completely reinvented um, and see like, you know, what were like the initial impetus that we can take as obviously as a smaller brand, we're not Tesla, but taking bits and pieces of the thinking and and, and put small bets and test what we can do to maybe reinvent the wheel at a small point and then scale it from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Tesla is always a good one to watch. Uh, What's up next on your reading list? Um, I'm just finishing up the um, no rules rules of Netflix, Mm -hmm. the reinventing culture. I mean, I think now that we are getting bigger as a company, we're having like a lot of similarities that I guess every startup is going through your small group and everything is informal and you have no rules. And then suddenly you're more than uh, 20 people, 25 people. And how do you actually creep the culture as it is without kind of limiting people and their creativity and establishing like artificial rules and too many approval processes. So how can mm-hmm. we stay agile as a brand? Again, we're not Netflix, but I think there are a couple of things, especially early on that you can take from the book. I mean, one is really the transparency that even if it's uncomfortable, if things are going wrong, is that uh, we talk to everyone. So there's like, there's no hidden hidden treasure, hidden desk or anything with like any documents. We keep our revenue information, for example, for everyone visible on the board so people can see how we're doing. So there are no secrets. And I think that just brings a level of accountability to the team. And, you know, without us having to establish rules and that limits uh, the strongest performers and people who are actually most excited about driving things forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's a, that's a good book too. 
Um, what's one thing that you don't understand today that you wish you did? Uh, I would say some of the new channels, TikTok mm-hmm. is, is one of those where I wish like I would be earlier to the, to the game. I think there are like a lot of interesting things going on and I'm getting actually taught by like people who are much younger than me, um, what's going on. So I think, um, for us going forward is like, how do we expand beyond like the channels that we are learned and we are good at and where we have an established community and how can we go about like new things and uh, finding out about it and placing again, like small bets, trying something and and see if it sticks. But yeah, I think uh, that's something always good to be early to the party. Yep. Yeah, I agree. All right, Catherine, this has been such a fun interview. So different, which I loved. Thank you for coming on. Where can people find out more about you and Barbie? Yes, you can find more about us on bearby.com and you can also find us on Instagram and our handle is mybearby. Thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.